Welcome to episode one of season three of the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. I am Spencer Tordoff, acting as moderator. Joining me today, we have Nick Cummings from the Zuckerberg Institute of Personal Information, Austin. Hello. And Aaron Thayer, who is some goddamn hipster in Portland. That is very true. Hello. Did our roles just reverse, Aaron? Yeah, I since you left Portland, I've had to fill the giant hole that you had left. I, I felt like giving you a break for today, honestly. Today we are talking about the Consumer Electronics Show, or CES, which is very popular among people who are waiting for the next Apple announcement. Like Nick. Do you, do you need a rim shot right now? Get it in post. Get post to do it. Yeah. Well, we'll hand that over to post. But... There were some fairly interesting developments from the gaming front at this year's CES, and I was going to start us off with me rubbing this shit in Doug's face when he finally listens to the episode, the Steam Box. The Steam Box was finally actually confirmed by uh, Gaben at this year's CES, and it was revealed that Valve is also partnering with other developers to make other hardware that is compatible with it. And... Honestly, that's that's probably, from my perspective, the best way they could have gone about handling a hardware release. XI3 is the kind of the first one that they showed, right, before they showed the other demos? That's the one, and uh, they were on Kickstarter recently and didn't get fully backed, but then Valve went to them and actually funded them making a, uh, a new device. But it's not the official Steam box, and that's really important to keep in mind. So, so XI3 is the first, like, announced, like, uh, recognizable brand, I guess, of a Valve-backed box for your TV, right? Precisely. Okay. And isn't that what kind of was argued that I don't think anybody really assumes there's going to be, like, a Xbox or Sony, just a single platform version that Valve makes, they're going to partner with their hardware people? Well, honestly, given the nature of the PC as it exists, it doesn't really make sense to try and have your own personal... Well, I mean, they're, they're doing that. They're having their own locked-in hardware box. But why try to force people to be compatible with that? The PC is already a diverse platform. There's already a lot of hardware in play that is being supported. You don't need to go outside of that. Why not make a whole bunch of devices and let people pick the one that they like best? It's like the PC, but without the part where you have to build your own machine. Hmm. I guess that is the biggest, to me, the biggest issue that this is addressing is that the PC market, and forgive me for this, is um, kind of still hard to penetrate from an outsider's perspective. Like, if you're buying a utilitarian home PC or like a work machine or something, you probably know what you're doing. But buying a gaming machine and not getting ripped off is pretty hard to do. If you're not already committed to it, it is extremely difficult. And hell, even if you're committed to it, like if I take a couple of years off and I'm not following hardware really closely, then I come back in and I'm kind of like, well fuck where do i start with all of this yeah when i built my computer over a year ago i felt like i was planning a backpacking trip in europe to make sure that i had everything uh, that would pair well together that i have it all planned out which was fun and i had a great time but nick's right it's still very it's intimidating elitist in a way it's extremely intimidating next to console gaming because console gaming does have that advantage but i think what steam is well what Valve is looking to do with Steam is position it as its own type of brand where on the hardware end you can have anything that's Steam compatible and you're fine but then on the software end as long as something says works with Steam then you know it will work with any of the Steam compatible devices 
which opens up the market on hardware, but keeps them in pretty solid possession of the software. And even if they leave the platforms open, even though they say, you can install Windows on this, you can install uh, Linux, you can install our version of Linux, it's fine. But if you have Steam, it will work with Steam. So I guess here's the question that I have about this whole Steam box, thi uh, box thing, that if it's really going to be... I guess for me what's hard to determine is if it's going to have a point that's able to break through to penetrate as you put that in the market that seems for the rest of us that don't understand kind of insane that the xi3 from the specs that they were talking about where it sounds like it'll be a great little computer for its form size they're still talking about a price under a thousand dollars which even if it has the steam backing and it's more user-friendly you know, even if the Steam box itself that Valve does or their partners do is five to six hundred dollars, with something like the Wii U being three fifty, obviously whatever the Xbox and PlayStation successors are will probably be five to six hundred. Can't those just automatically win based on their price point? Because if we're looking at still a thousand dollars for the form factor of a Steam box, or even a little bit under that, that seems like way too much money for the average person. So I think there's there are two things at play here. One was um, correct me if I'm wrong because I probably know less about this than you guys, but I believe the thousand dollars wasn't that the MSRP they had on their Kickstarter. I'm wondering if that with if Valve is backing them, if that's that could possibly change because I agree that because of the lack of brand recognition at a big box store and like on Amazon, I mean, basically like where they are trying to compete now, a thousand dollars versus like five hundred dollars or three hundred fifty dollars is uh, a no-brainer for most people. They're not going to buy that thing. I don't know. Do you guys agree with that? I do. I get that. What I'm kind of wondering, and, well, I, I hate to cite Doug on this, but, uh... Doug. We all hate citing Doug. We, we all do, it's true. But my, my immediate thought ran to subsidizing, because that's the big thing with hardware these days. And then I it occurred to me, well, Valve can't really do that. They're, they're a very successful company. They don't have quite that much cash to throw around. They're already doing a hardware release. They can't really take a hit on the hardware. Are you sh sure about that? I don't know about that specifically. Uh, what is occurring to me is mm. that because they have other manufacturers on board, because I'm confident, and, you know, take this podcast six months from now and email me and be like, haha, the point here is they're going to have multiple parties on board, and if you, say, have Dell through Alienware putting out a Steam box, they can take the hit. Dell doesn't give a fuck. But how are you getting them to take a hit on it? How would they? They're a hardware manufacturer. It doesn't make any sense. So it's it's a pretty interesting question. All I know is that, according to the Nerdist podcast that came out recently with Gabe Newell on there, that Valve has enough money to take their employees on uh, cruises, the whole company, but I don't know how much money they actually have. It's all speculation, isn't it? It's pretty speculated. Uh, because Valve it's is not a publicly... Held. Yeah, it's, it's not a publicly owned company. They're not beholden to anybody, so they don't have to release And numbers. they don't have to release yeah. financials. Right. Yeah. Uh, because it's... It's Gaben's company. Gabe Newell for the people who do not know him from the internet, but you know. For the people who aren't dogmatic about there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what we do know is that Gabe Newell is a billionaire. I mean, that's that's cool, I guess. There are lots of other people in tech who are billionaires, too. That doesn't tell us how much the company is yep. worth. Estimates are, I think I saw anything from like 3 to like 15 billion. Well, 15? That is that is higher than I have heard. I pulled that out of some scary ethereal space. I guess I think I saw at least 3 to, three to 8. I was just trying to think of a cool number. 15 is a pretty cool number. I'll give you that. So This is why we uh, do our research beforehand. <laughs> yeah, I was checking uh, my stocks app on my iPhone that's been buried in a folder at the very last page of my phone for a year. And then you couldn't find Valve because they're not actually on there. Exactly. And I was like, well, that was a fucking waste of time. 
But I, I think the whole thing about whether or not Steam has the cash flow is that I still don't think that they're going to... Uh, it just seems Im impossible for me to imagine that they're going to go the route of the hardware manufacturer, which is why they have the partners through something like XI3 or wh whoever else gets on board. But still, the price, because again, nobody knows, and who knows what it will be until it's fully announced, if they're trying to make a form factor that's living room-sized, so you're not putting a tower next to your entertainment center, something that sits in your entertainment center or on it has to be smaller. And those smaller form factor computers, well, you either go two routes, from my understanding, you have something that's not as powerful that isn't going to run, say, whatever game you want to throw out there as an example <clears throat> at high settings, or you do something that is just kind of a casual game machine. I don't, I'm sure there'll be different versions that they will sell, but the price point, it just seems like it might get confusing too, that if you have the Steam box from XI3 that costs, you know, $800, that's really powerful but small, but then you have the one that's from Acer, that's et cetera, et cetera. I guess they just have to hopefully have a really good marketing plan to make this clear to the consumer. Well, I think there's uh, one, one benefit, too, that they're not going to get quite as distinctly as consoles have in the past, uh, is that Valve is releasing specifications on what, like, these things should contain, like what, what kind of architecture, uh, that kind of stuff. So at least, you know... If you're a game developer and you want to try and make your game work on the most Steam-compatible hardware out there, you'll at least have a, a good idea of like what those set-top boxes are going to be based on. So, you know, that's that's why you still see... Like, look at Halo 4 on the 360 last mm -hmm. year. Pretty gigantic step forward in terms of console graphics quality, and it's because they've just had, you know, seven years to iterate on the same hardware and stretch it to its capacity, whereas on PCs... And this is coming from, like, an idiot liberal arts major. PCs are... You know, you have, like, your major manufacturers, they have their architectures, they have, you know, there's a few sort of graphics systems, like Direct3D and OpenGL and stuff, but there's so much variation in hardware and computer combinations that, like, that's why things are a little bit less efficient, I think, with any given set of hardware. Is that that's correct? That's, that's pretty fair it? to say. I mean, there's okay. a lot of hardware out there. I mean, speaking from my experience testing, which was, you know, a pretty short stint with a game that ended up cancelled you end up having to test on a lot of different kinds of boxes. So that's true of PC games pretty universally. You try to make it run on the majority of things if you have the test staff for it, and otherwise you just kind of go, oh well. I mean, I feel like if you're releasing hardware specs for Steam, then they're going to avoid that problem to a certain extent, but you're still dealing with hardware from different manufacturers. So I'm not entirely sure what's going to result from that. I guess, at the very least, that Valve's clearly onto something when you look at other stuff from CES, like that Razer Edge tablet, and then the um, NVIDIA Project Shield, among other things. You know, this whole idea with the Razer thing, that it's a tablet, it looks ridiculous, but, you know, it's a tablet dock that allows a Windows 8 tablet to play games on it. It showed running Dishonored, I think. So that seems to be kind of a focus this year, that whatever it is, uh, you're going to be trying to dilute old-school tower-type PC building into these more portable form factors, or, in the Steam case, something that sits in your entertainment center in your TV room, but trying to chip away at this perception of PC gaming as inaccessible, which I guess is a good thing overall. 
It's a very elegant transition there, Aaron, and I'll thank you for it. Uh, and that is actually something that was cited in the, the Verge interview with Gabe Newell, was that one of the things they're considering is having one machine render several different screens. To rule them all. And then you can basically do a LAN party with one device powering all of the screens and inputs. And that fits perfectly with this whole this whole streaming thing. Remote streaming has been done with OnLive, and it has proved not extremely impressive with American uh, internet infrastructure where it is. But the idea of having a central rendering system in a home, one machine that does all of the rendering and just kind of outputs that over the network, that's a lot more viable, and I feel like that has that has a lot more... Really, that has legs on it, which is, again kind of what Doug predicted, but he predicted that the Steam Box would be just a head for your computer rendering things. It's kind of what, despite your potential feelings about Windows 8, Microsoft's pushed that, and obviously Apple's been doing it for a long time. Having this compatibility between your devices, for gaming specifically, that would be a very cool direction to have, you know, as it were, some Tolkien-esque uh, one device to, you know, to rule, them, rule all. them all sort of thing. It's almost moving back to the old architecture where there was the one mainframe that everyone connected to and everyone did their commuting on the mainframe. Right. Where now, in the home, you would have one gaming device, and that gaming device puts stuff out to your tablets, to your phones, to your TV, and that's it. It's handling everything, but it's pretty much taking care of it for the entire house. You don't have a separate PC and something hooked to the TV. You just have one device. Can I just point out the irony that Nintendo was the first major company to push this idea to market with um, you the Wii U? You absolutely may, and honestly, uh, that is the biggest <laughs> feature of the Wii U that I think nobody anticipated being a big thing. But that has been the major yeah. selling point of the Wii U, as I've as I've heard it reported. It's like, hey, I'm going to go play Call of Duty on the toilet because I can do that. It's it's amazing, and for some people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so that's that's really big, and to get it on as many devices as the in the home as possible is going to be a big get for somebody, and Steam uh, Valve is positioning themselves to be able to do that. Nintendo, of course, is already locked in to their own device, and Nintendo always will be locked into their own device. So they're kind of out of... Like, they've pioneered it, and they are simultaneously out of the running, is my feeling on it. Well, they're going to do their own thing, and I think they've kind of charted their path for the next five years, so... Well, that's Nintendo. Yeah. They always do their own thing, and they have never really fucked it up too badly. Uh, Thank you. The Virtual Boy being the exception, but... Yeah, that was really bad. GameCube did okay. Honestly, and 64 I, did of that okay. generation, I like the GameCube <laughs> the most, so... Oh, me too, but I'm weird. Fair enough. I like tiny purple consoles. Hey, I got the black <laughs> one. Before, it was cool to have black electronics. Show off. Now, then it was cool to have white electronics, now it's black again. It'll probably be chartreuse next year. When is purple coming back, though? Uh, I hope purple comes back. That was something else that was mentioned about CES, kind of. I don't know how nobody commented on that before, but just in general technological sense, how this year was the death of the rounded, smoothed-edged um, electronics peripheral design and how it's more the squares and clean aesthetics, which I thought we'd seen that progress for a long time thanks to as they as several articles pointed out apple everything was looking like a mid-90s 
Ford Fiesta, okay? <laughs> I'm glad that we're coming back to the hard edges for technology. I don't get it. It looks so much better when it's just a simple device. You don't have to worry. Maybe it was the whole Samsung crap with the worrying about patent design and whatever that term was that they got sued on. But that's beside the point. I guess if we're thinking about this, so we're seeing a development this year. And CES, of course, is just a, an orgy of self-masturbating technology giants just kind of out trying to outdo each other. So its worthiness is questionable, but it does prove what trends might be happening this year and beyond. Uh, it does look like stuff as far as the gaming side goes. It's all trying to fit itself into smaller form factors and how to make things more portable, I guess. It seems that way anyway, but what about stuff? And more waterproof. And more waterproof. <laughs> Yeah. If you're Sony. Like, well, I mean, they realize that with the whole, you know, the Wii U tablet in the bathroom, if you drop that in the toilet, you're screwed. You're, you're, you're fucked, essentially. Well, I would like to point out that A, how are you not fat enough to completely cover the toilet when you're on it? B. Exactly. I'm predicting right now the PlayStation 4 totally waterproof. You can just operate that bitch underwater if you want to. Really quickly, I just want to, uh, go ahead and do a McLaughlin group style conclusion to this. Gentlemen, the streaming of games to various portable devices in the home. Nintendo's pioneered it. Valve is shooting to take it. What are Sony and Microsoft going to do? Your predictions, please. That was exactly where I was going. And let's please never go back to the McLaughlin group again. <laughs> no, I'm going to go back there as much as I want. But your predictions, please. My, mine that shit. Let's keep mining it. Okay, well, fine. But I'm drawing a line at the 700 Club. I'm... I'm not going 700 Club. Jesus Christ, what do you think I am? Speaking of, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you guys. So, let's look at Sony, Microsoft, and Apple, because those are like the big three players we haven't really mentioned here. Purely speculative. We've already seen um, Microsoft push for uh, connectivity with other devices recently with like Smart Glass, where you take your phone, your tablet, whatever, and you get expanded features for games, you get stats tracking and stuff or you can just navigate your console with it it's a very preliminary kind of thing but it's like you know a, a furtive first step into um, using the console to, to generate stuff and then sending it to your remote screen not so much from sony yet but i think that's because when you look at the vita hardware wise in terms of performance on the screen that's like i think it's like 800 by something or other so it's you know not, it's not high def it's close to 720p there's no reason for them to try and generate something on the ps3 and then stream that video to the vita because you're not going to see much of a difference in quality if any what i was wondering is do you guys think that we'll see something similar from sony where when the ps4 comes out you'll be able to remotely play those games on your vita in some cases I guess I'm such a cursory Sony enthusiast. I've had each one of their consoles, but I have, what, maybe six PlayStation 3 games. So it's not professing any sort of fanboy love. It's just that I have no idea. And just looking at their past, they do seem to kind of lag a bit. They always have really good engineering and technology, and they always seem to have powerful hardware when it comes out. But their actual execution of, of that hardware and how they uh, make it interesting to somebody through their software is probably why I never got on board so much. Because, you know, say what you will about the Xbox and its storied past, but I think that's what kept me interested is what they did with the software. So as far as Sony, whatever comes out with PlayStation 4, I mean, I guess there will be something there, but I don't know if it's going to be their focus. Yeah. As far as I know, there hasn't been a whole lot of anything coming out on the PS4 in terms of rumors or leaks or speculation at this point. You know, we know a lot more about, I think, about the new, the Xbox successor than that. 
I, I want to say part of that is probably the fact that Sony very recently, uh, within the past couple of years here, committed to a full 10-year cycle for the PS3, and they're not going to be able to stick to that. I cannot imagine that they're actually going to try and do a 10-year cycle with the PS3, but that has kind of tied their hands on the whole uh, media aspect. Because they can't come out and say, oh, PS4, when they already committed to 10 years of support for the PS3. But they're already seven years in. This is true, but are they waiting until 2015, 2016 to release a new console when... No, they're no. doing it this fall. That's yeah. that's exactly my that's thinking. Not what they, that's not what they meant, because the PS2 had a 10-year cycle. Right, it just And they just ceased production. Yeah. I, will, I will point out, however, that I don't think that was entirely what they wanted. Like, they did not announce that for the PS2. It was just that people kept making games for the PS2 because there was not enough support for the PS3, and they just rolled with it. I, I don't know. I'm not a Sony executive. Yet. But that was my impression. Yeah, I guess, I don't know, it just seemed to, what were those numbers from even when the uh, just the PSP was out, not the Vita, how the PlayStation 2 is still selling much better than it for a long time until Monster Hunter and all this stuff. But, you know, they had a long tail for the PlayStation 2 and then finally decided to stop doing it for whatever one reason or another. But I think that's, like Nick's saying, that's the goal for the PlayStation 3 is have it around whenever the successor comes out, but... Yeah, there's no way that they're not going to have their hand forced if they were trying to wait maybe a little bit longer by Xbox, something like that coming out this year or early next year. And already with the Wii U on the market, even if they don't think it's a threat, plus all the stuff that keeps happening on, say, Steam side and then Apple and Windows side, all this this market's getting crowded. They can't just afford to sit it out for another year or two. I'm honestly curious, and I'm going to go ahead and kind of shift our gears very violently to something we hadn't previously discussed, and if it doesn't work out, we'll just move to something else. Nick, you alluded to Apple there. Is there anything specific they have announced or are talking about that is really pertinent to gaming at this point? I know that they finally launched the Game Center, and that was pretty much the last I heard, because I do not have any iOS devices anymore. Yeah, well, Game Center launched about two and a half years ago. Oh, okay, well, but, that um... shows how... <laughs> How in the loop I am, apparently. Coming up, new breaking news about something called the iPad. <laughs> and this concept of FaceTime, which is just... yeah. Anyway, Look, I, no I don't see where the money in video phones is, but go ahead. <laughs> so Apple, the reason I brought them up is not because they've announced anything. They haven't. They continue to push on handhelds as where their gaming system is, because that's where the apps are. I would assume that the app store that they have built into OS X now is pretty solid for selling stuff, because whenever I look at it, they always have games listed in the top sellers. And But really, I think it's like, when you think about playing games on an Apple device, you're thinking of like an iPhone or maybe an iPad, right? Because that's where, you know, you have that tight integration, it's pick up and play, and you got it with you most of the time if you're an Apple user. For me, it's the only, those are, iOS platforms are the only platforms that Apple produces that actually have any type of exclusives. Yeah. Um, mostly point. it's still the year or more after cycle for uh, anything regarding OS X, unless it's Valve, id, Epic, or... Blizzard. Blizzard. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah, the Mac desktop type thing still have the stigma of just being like, oh, you like games too? Mm, that's too bad. Yeah, we got to talk about that. <laughs> I think they just Look came out with these... Black, Op Black Ops 1 this year, I think. Yeah, good God. Civ 5 dropped like a year after, or like six months after the fact for like full retail price with no multiplayer. And that was how they released it on Mac. And they were like, Look, we gave you something. Are we not merciful? <laughs> 
So do you think that that's just going to be the focus then for Apple? Because for, they, they apparently are doing iterative hardware now, so are they just going to keep focusing on their App Store iOS games? I think it's all going to hinge, honestly, their long-term vision on how they tackle the TV thing once and for all. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of getting back to the whole idea of, like, uh, one centralized thing that generates the actual, like, the computes the game, and then you play it elsewhere. Apple has not done anything like this per se, except in the case of, uh, if you have an Apple TV, you can AirPlay whatever you're doing on your iPhone, iPad, Mac laptop, or desktop to your TV. Which has led to some pretty interesting, like, experimental stuff, but nothing too, like, you know, mind-blowing. Uh, there's a, there's a good example of this game called, uh, The Incident. And, uh, it's just, it's kind of a dumb, like, you know, jump on top of stuff until you climb to the top of the level game, but it does this cool thing where you can airplay it to your TV and use your iPhone or iPod Touch as just a controller. And it's just a two, like a one-button game with tilt. So you're basically playing a, a really rudimentary console game from your iPhone projected on your TV, and that was a feature they built out pretty early on for it. Where I'm going with this is that that's running off of your iPhone, and then it's just streaming that video basically to your TV. That's about the extent of what Apple has done so far. So I think that they would come at it from a different angle almost, unless they build a TV out like with their own hardware. But right now, everything Apple does with, like, remote viewing and uh, distributed, like, viewing of stuff through the household is it comes from your device and then you project it onto your TV by way of this little uh, Apple TV box. The only way that would change, and really the only way I see them doing a TV-based ecosystem of apps and games, is if they launch their own hardware that's more than just, like, an A4 chip in a box. And they've always been so tepid about that, they, they will kind of trumpet whenever there's a new hardware release about how it will play these games better and faster, but all of their demos are always... I've, I've personally never seen, anyway, a demo of, you know, a big third-party release from you know, these major PC developers on a conference for Apple, at least not that I've seen. It's always, hey, this really cool iPad game mm-hmm. or something... There's Epic, but that's, like, the exception. Right, So then, and then they make stuff with Chair, which then ends up becoming an exclusive on there, But so there's kind of a vested interest, but they, they will show these games that are more iOS devices, and I think you're right that... Unless they switch gears and they do want to do hardware, I don't think that they feel forced to do that, though. They'll still make their money unless their market share keeps dropping or whatever happens with their actual mobile device platforms. I don't think that they feel a need to get into the gaming side. Who knows, but that doesn't seem to be their priority ever. Well, I'm going to go ahead and speculate here because this is a nice show full of speculations. But I'm going to go ahead and come out and say that they are going to go ahead and drop OS X until it is basically just a server. They will probably end up merging the Apple TV and Mac Mini lines as their primary consumer model for that. Everything else is going to be iOS-based, and by 2020, Nick Cummings will be using an Android device because Apple will have tanked. <laughs> that is my prediction. I will recede into a cave with WebOS on some like <laughs> unrecognizable <laughs> tablet, holding out with with like hydroponic farms and He's just basically going to be water. a Pakistani technology terrorist just hiding in the caves. And... <laughs> I'll just throw out there that we'll actually enter like there will be a whole lot of social progress. It'll be a bold new utopia, and that will be when Nick ends up in a cave, not because of society. But specifically because Apple is no longer a thing. See, I'd be fine with this if Android wasn't noticeably worse than anything else out there. Oh, shit. (laughs) Anyway, I'll I'll just say for that, it's pretty clear you haven't used any Nexus branded devices, but we'll, we'll leave that there. I have. When the hell did you do that? We'll talk about it offline. Well, fine. We'll talk about it offline. God damn it.
Let's talk about, because it's related to the idea of having a central home processor, Project Shield from NVIDIA. Is this Nick Fury's thing? This is Nick Fury's (laughs) thing, sure. This is, NVIDIA announced Tegra 4 at CES this year, and along with that, that? uh, Tegra 4 will be the latest iteration of their mobile platform. They've had uh, Tegra 1 through 3, which is in a fair number of devices. My phone was Tegra 2 based, my Nexus 7 is Tegra 3 based. Tegra 4 is their latest iteration of that. So basically it's an all-in-one ARM CPU, GPU, multiple cores. It manages the cores in a certain way. It's a it's a pretty solid platform, I think personally. So it's kind of like uh kind of like how Apple's doing like the whole system on chip kind of thing where it's like graphics and but nobody really cares about Apple hardware internals because they're just buying it cuz it's Apple and they're glued together. That's a interesting generalization. Keep going. <laughs> Everyone cares if it's quad-core, but nobody cares what type of processor it is. They could switch to Intel on the phones and nobody would notice. You cut me deep, dude. That's what I like to do <laughs> because it gets a reaction out of you. <laughs> Project Shield is NVIDIA taking the Tegra 4 and cramming it into what kind of looks like, just looking at the photos, an Xbox controller with an Android phone grafted to the top of it. It looks it, pretty. It dumb, looks but... <laughs> pretty dumb. I am totally on board. It looks like the uh, the little things you can get to put your phone in and then connect a controller to it, except that's the device. Or the, those old uh, PlayStation Two portable screens that you would try to justify for like a road trip or something. Oh yeah, yeah I played through Metal Gear Solid on one of those. <laughs> like that type of thing. So that's their that's their big thing. Is is hey check out Project Sealed. You can play your Android games on it. My reaction: Who gives a shit? And, and this is a big marketing point for them, you can stream games from your PC to it. And that, that, there you go, that that sounds like the thing that is kind of becoming the big deal, is you have your central processor in the home, and you play it on whatever you feel like. Does it even fold close? I I think so, (laughs) but not in a really good way. I just, I okay, yeah, it does. I found a picture of it. It just, it It looks really clumsy. If they're, like, okay. (laughs) Fucking shield. How does it? I fold? have I have plenty <laughs> of respect for Nvidia. Personally, I'm more of an AMD guy, but as AMD is tanking, I have to you know be pragmatic. That's right. You're such a hardware hipster. But Nvidia, I don't know what they're really trying to convey with this. Like Tegra's a hit. Tegra is in a lot of devices. Tegra is definitely getting the momentum. GeForce is currently on top, though still more expensive in the PC arena. But they came out and announced uh, Shield, and they're like, oh, this is the this is the result of a decade or half a decade well okay let's not say a decade but half a decade's worth of research and development and they're proud of that you guys connected a controller to a phone there's a guy who has a plastic thingy that you put your phone in and then attach to a ps3 controller it's basically the same deal so we're like three of those years spent trying to figure out how to best solder a phone onto a controller and then they didn't even do it that well I guess, you know, you have to give it to NVIDIA, though. They're at least trying. And the whole, the, their server announcement that they did at CES, which we can talk about that, too. But And then, um, which is something I've been using for about a month. They launched the GeForce Experience program. It's just like a desktop application for PCs that will automatically scan, find compatible games that the community and their tech people have. Basically, it optimizes the settings for your graphic card for that game, and it sounds so anti-PC where, oh, I have to tweak everything for five hours to, which is an exaggeration in some cases, to make it work right. 
But I love that. I'm a PC guy, and if I have to do that, I'm kind of pissed off. I don't mind doing it. Exactly. It still kind of pisses me off. So that's what I enjoy, where they're kind of taking, it seems, with this whole controller and screen streaming and um, the server and the GeForce experience, which is in beta, and just trying to simplify their identity. And I think it can only help them with, like you're saying, the, the attachment rate for Tegra and so many different devices. It's a big deal, and they are out there. Plus, they'll probably be doing... Actually, I don't know if they did last generation any of the graphics chips for the consoles, but they have a lot of partnerships, and they're trying to diversify themselves, which is pretty cool. But whether or not it actually pans out with something like Shield being worthwhile, I think it it has no merit to my own consumption of gaming. I don't need to stream, which, of course, is not necessarily the determination. I don't need it, but maybe I really like it. But I think it still seems a little bit like you know, hanging on the coattails. Whether or not it actually works, who knows? Works well, I should say. I don't want to sound like I was just berating it for the sake of like beating up on the on the new kid. But I think I think there's something to be said for Nvidia really trying to do something different this time around. Like they've been producing basically hardware that most people don't even know exists for you know decades. And I think it's cool that they're trying to become a consumer brand and to give people an alternative way to play their games. It's, um, I don't know. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if it's going to be something I ever want to buy, but the notion of being able to take a game and then play it wherever I feel like playing it at the time is, uh, it's very appealing, especially just because, you know, I spend most of my day at a desk and when I come home, it's kind of nice to not do that, but I still want to unwind with the game, which is why I've pretty much resorted my, my DS and 3DS and Vita for the last few months for gaming, so. You know, if, if I could play Far Cry 3 for my bed like that, that'd be pretty great. Except I'm surprised nobody's thrown their hands up about the fact that it's a controller, not a mouse and keyboard that's portable with a screen yeah. or something. <laughs> I was waiting for that, too, that outrage. <laughs> People are bitching yeah. about that less and less unless they're really assholes. Well, yeah. I mean, here's the thing is I want I want to be behind NVIDIA on this, but... Ultimately, the point that's being made here that not a lot of people know who they are, I think that's totally legitimate. Like, if you're outside of PC mm-hmm. gaming, why would you have heard of them? Yeah, yeah they, have, they have crazy huge sales, and their their processors are in a ton of things, but it's not a household exactly. name. Exactly. Well, it's like Oracle. Nobody knows that they make Java unless you actually are in the industry, but everyone uses right. it. Yep. And so, basically, they're trying to make this push where it's like, hey, we make servers, hey, we have our, our game thing, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like unless they decide to play ball with somebody, Valve leaps to mind, but unless they decide to play ball with somebody, they're kind of positioning themselves to have a pretty substantial fall. Yeah, it's more, maybe not combative, but it's definitely not, it's almost setting themselves up as their own platform, which is not going to be lucrative. They need a lot more market awareness before they do that. Like, Google is a household name, and even they are hesitant to make the full push to be a uh, household name in the platform sense. I reference here specifically the uh, the Nexus Q, which they delayed because they realized it wasn't ready. And here NVIDIA is really pushing, and it's like, hang on, guys. Are you sure? Yeah, and Google TV, just not as a game platform, but something that never really exactly. out. I don't know. I think it has potential, but it seems too cumbersome. But it is a good idea. It's something that's new, and it is, like we've been saying this whole uh, episode, about this idea of the central server beaming content to other devices, and that seems to be the future if you take away stuff that's, you know, Ultra HD and all this other buzzword crap that happens every year, that does seem like that's an actual useful technology that is being used 
currently in a in a new console, the Wii U, and uh, multiple other platforms going forward. So that seems like that's going to be the biggest thing that will happen over this next year or two. I, I mean, I'm, I'm in complete agreement. And as far as that goes, they're positioning themselves correctly. It's really just the household name thing that is iffy. So what's the deal with Grid, then, their whole Grid server cloud? I, I'm looking at it right now. It does not look like a home device. Can you uh, describe it real quick? Basically, they describe it as a cloud gaming architecture. It's a server rack that operates on NVIDIA processors, NVIDIA GPUs, and it's meant for rendering games in the cloud. It's not Hmm. really for consumers, not in any form that I can look at it right now and decide. So you think it's more of something that would then be sold to say, well, OnLive has their own servers, but yeah, who benefits for this? OnLive or possibly Microsoft, because Microsoft has made noises that they're moving in that direction, or really any company that wants to get into Is a streaming game server. Yes, Sony bought oh. them. Oh, okay, so Sony then also. So that's actually a good point we were talking about earlier, and that was some of the that was one rumor that happened last year is when they had bought Gaikai, that that could be a precursor to whatever happens with PlayStation. But I will go ahead and hmm. point out here that that directly conflicts with them trying to become a household name if they're mostly con- uh, catering to other companies. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're again, they're they're happily talking about grid, but again, I don't see it happening in any homes. And if they're trying to be a brand, it's not going to help them. See, I don't think Nokia, or I'm sorry, Nvidia. Nokia's gone. Hey, hey, they they've got their Windows 8 devices. Now. Yeah, they're pretty nice. I like the Lumia. That's not what we're talking about. Though, I'm so quoting that out of context for months, but please go on. <laughs> But no, NVIDIA doesn't have a lot to lose if they don't make it as a household name. They already have, obviously, you know, a lot of sales, great partnerships with uh, manufacturers. The most common graphic standard on computers, I think, as far as I know. Maybe Intel integrated is better now, or more common. More common, but not better. Yeah, not better. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I think this is a risk they can take, because they've. I'm willing to bet, you know, based on the sales that they've released, like, they must have some operating capital. And they, among gamers, among the hardcore, like, it's a well-known name, and it, it means performance, and it means a company that, you know, has, especially in recent years, made a big effort to become part of the gaming scene and to represent a quality gaming experience in its own way. So this seems like a logical next step for them, but I think that if they do totally botch it, and their hardware's bad, and the compatibility sucks, and people don't like it, oh well, they still make really good graphics cards. So do we see maybe a, not to bring it back up, but a comparison where NVIDIA being a hardware maker behind the scenes for years, they obviously have the capital, like you're saying, to to experiment, to do something like this, and it crashes and burns? Oh, well, hey, they've still got their partnerships and billions of dollars, so they're moving into another um, scene to diversify a little bit compared to something, again, like Valve, where they're not a hardware manufacturer, they're software or service and they're moving into hardware, even though it's through partnerships or whatever it is, does one seem it's at greater risk than the other, or does that comparison even matter? Well, with that, with the way that Nick described it, honestly, I feel like NVIDIA probably has a little bit less to lose than Valve, although Valve would probably make it up over the course of one sale. When you, when you say it like that, it's not like they're really losing anything by being a brand, because they haven't really offered anything in the way of software aside from the optimization service. They're... Shield is running Android, so it's not like they're saying, hey, develop your games for our shit. They really don't care. And we've seen something like even Amazon in the past, a service industry move straight to hardware with Kindle, and they're doing fairly well but because they're selling you a device to use their content on, which is the whole Valve perspective, I would think, plus a little bit more flexible. But then with NVIDIA, yeah, they're just it seems like they're having fun with it. Like, sure, who gives a fuck, but we'll make a controller with a 
screen glued on and hey hardcore gamers will like it because that's who they're marketing to they're they're not i doubt you're going to see this at like fred meyers or uh walmart that uh shield controller it's not going to be a mass market thing i assume i wouldn't think so no but i don't purport to know uh final thoughts on the shield nick do you have anything to add i like the idea I like the notion, especially just having used a Wii U finally, like, there's something to be said for having a really cool little screen that has a full console handheld quality to it, and that's part of why I've loved having a Vita so much, is it does deliver an equivalent PS3 experience in a lot of ways, so... You know, as far as that goes, I, I'm all more, I'm all in favor of people pushing hardware that lets people take their existing content that they're paying for and uh, do different stuff with it. Alright, Aaron, any final thoughts? Uh, it's a new way to experience PC gaming, but I'm not as interested in it as I am the Oculus. Alright, uh, that segues us nicely, and I'm just gonna say, the shield looks really goofy, and if I end up owning one, I'm not gonna be terribly surprised. <laughs> okay, so, final topic is the Oculus. The, what's the, what's the full name of the thing? The Oculus Rift. Which is a fancy word for, like, seeing thing with a big hole in it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's very pornographic. <laughs> It looks like a prop from Johnny uh, Mnemonic. I wonder if it has a dolphin <laughs> mode. What do you guys think about this? I guess from everything I've read and heard that it actually is the realization of virtual reality, in quotations, that people have been trying since the early 90s to do, but with the lag times and just the lack of technical ability at the time, it never worked right. It just was shit. But this, since it started as Kickstarter and had a lot of backers from, I think Carmack was one of them, among other luminaries from um, the industry, it seems like this might actually be the real deal, but I guess because I haven't seen and they can't really show videos of it, it's kind of like the 3DS where you can't really show a video of the 3D, you have to experience it, it seems like it'll still be a hard sell for a lot of people. I mean, this isn't something you're going to want to buy and then have your friends come over and check it out unless they already play PC games, right? It covers your entire face, basically, up above your nose. And Well, okay, I, I don't know about the PC games statement there. <laughs> it's not something you're going to really invite people over to play multiplayer with unless they're bringing their own. I, the point I was making <laughs> is that stupid. <laughs> I think it just looks really weird. You're basically putting on a Daft Punk helmet, and that, that requires a bit of a commitment. And I think that for people like us... The trade-off for like that kind of immersive experience as we have never had before is totally worth it. But this isn't like something you're going to be able to market. I mean, like maybe I'm thinking too fundamentally about this, but you know, when you when you obscure someone's face with like when you put on something like that, you are basically depriving them of that identity outwardly. And like I know you're playing a game probably by yourself or whatever, so it doesn't matter. But like it's a little weird if your roommate comes in, and you're like, oh, I'm just wearing this crazy ass helmet that lets me see into like I don't know cyberspace all snow crash style. Do, do you guys see what I'm saying, though? Like, am I crazy here? Yeah. Okay. It's it's not going to be a group experience. It's going to be a solo, individual thing, which, again, just reinforces the stereotype of basement-dwelling PC people. Absolutely. But I I think it has merit as technology, but you're right. I, I don't see it changing much. I just see it being a little taboo. I think it's going to be really cool as far as the experience it provides, especially if it is as immersive as, like, they're trying to make it. But it's one of those things that, like... I mean, remember the virtual Virtual Boy, which is probably the closest comparison? That was a weird thing to play with people around. I want to point out that the Virtual Boy was almost 20 years ago. <laughs> hey, when I was at CompUSA when I was six years old, and they had a demo kiosk of that. I thought it was the most badass thing ever. And then it shortly thereafter died. But I think if I'd actually had one, 
again, it's 20 years ago or more, but I just don't see this for myself being worth it, because it's another amalgam, in my opinion, of the whole 3D push that is still kind of there, but that's more or less died. It's it's just something that becomes a feature of monitors or televisions or consoles, not a, a push like Sony's backed off from that. And even a lot of the Nintendo stuff, they say, oh yeah, turn off the 3D, the 3DS, you don't need it. So it just seems like the Oculus is going to be the realization of virtual reality, again, in quotations, but it's not going to revolutionize anything, which it doesn't have to. It just has to be a good tech demo that works. But I kind of liken it to the whole, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, Tracker or Track IR, however you want to say that, the camera that um, mounts on your monitor, and it's for games for head tracking, like Arma. So you can, when you're in cockpits, you can turn and it tracks the screen with your head movement. It's one of those really super hardcore, very niche um, peripherals that may change the way that you game, but it's still not going to be necessary. It's not going to be exclusive. There's not going to be exclusive games that work with the Oculus. There's uh, partnerships with like Skyrim and stuff, but I'm not going to drop 300, 400, however much money it is just to do that. Well, okay. I'm going to throw out there at least that the, the whole track IR thing suffers from the inherent flaw, and I, I say this from seeing it used, that when you turn your head to look somewhere else, you're also turning your head away from the monitor, <laughs> which makes it entirely pointless. So you have to have multiple monitors if you want it to work right. At least. Honestly, the track IR thing, I don't really get. Although Nick went a little bit of a first-year sociology major on us there. You're welcome. I really don't see there being a big problem with the Oculus Rift, because we have our devices for social games. The Kinect and the Wii are going to be the social games platforms for... I'm willing to say at least five years. The iterations of those are just going to remain the thing that you play group games on until rhythm gaming comes back around. So if somebody buys something for personal gaming, until the point where you're actually inserting something into your body, I don't think this is going to be that stigmatic because people playing games by themselves is not a public thing yet. And we can just, you know, we could debate for hours why that is, what the problem is, why it is that games have such a stigma about them still. But ultimately, for the context of the Oculus Rift, I think if they produce a quality product that delivers 3D like everybody has been promising for the last five years, I think it's going to take off. I guess you're right that, you know, the lone PC gamer in his or her house you know, these are the people that wear ponytails and Chinese um, high-button shirts. I, I resent and, both of those yeah. generalizations <laughs> because I don't resemble them, but go on. We're all PC gamers, by the way, so... <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like I said, I, I built a giant-ass computer a year ago. I love it, but it's, yeah, I think you're right. It, it doesn't have to be a mass-market appeal. It doesn't have to be cool for mom to put on the VR headset and frag people in Unreal Tournament, because that's not what it's about. It's not for that person or the even casual gamer. And it will be something that, I'm sure if your friends are over, they'll be like, what the hell is this thing? Let me try that. Oh, that's cool. They may never buy one, but it will have, I'm sure, if, if it works as it's supposed to, this great underground, not even underground, but this great following of people who are super into the scene and get it because it does work. But it just, again, seems like one of those things that, I don't know, I guess I'm not interested in that anymore, and I'm always skeptical about new technology until I've been able to use that, which is why I didn't get a 3DS for, 
you know, two years. I think Aaron actually kind of hit on the hit on the head, and I don't think I said it uh, the way I wanted to the first time. But yeah, I mean, it'll it'll be a cool experience, and I think a lot of people will want to see that what it's like. You know, everyone's heard of virtual reality and that kind of thing, and bringing it home in a way that works is kind of unheard of. Actually, years ago, my grandpa got 3D glasses for his computer back at about the time where the most advanced 3D game was Doom 2, just because that's what he's into, optics and stuff. And it looked like crap, but it was kind of a cool effect for the time. And I remember, like, everyone around wanted to check it out, even if they weren't into gaming or, you know, visualization or whatever. So I think, it'll, you know, on that level, it'll make some waves. I, I mean, personally, I'm always chasing that next, I guess, chasing the dragon of, like, <laughs> some crazy-ass game experience. So I'll be interested in that. I think what I really wanted to say was like, it's, it's the first time I've seen a sensory deprivation device marketed for gaming that I can think of since the Virtual Boy. And the parallel that I thought of when I th- heard of the Oculus Rift was uh, this game called Deep Sea. Have you guys heard of it? Can't say so. No. Deep Sea is a game, there's only a couple copies out there. I played it at Fantastic Arcade here in Austin. It's a game where you put on a gas mask that is specially fitted to cover the eyes with black uh, masking tape. And you play it with a tiny little joystick, and all you have to go off of are audio cues. And you're basically underwater, and you're trying to shoot the enemy that's coming at you. But all, all you can do is ping with like your radar and listen for where it comes back from and try and pivot and shoot again and try and kill it before it gets to you using audio cues only. This is totally different from what Oculus Rift is going to do because it's visual, but... The effect of putting something on where you're not seeing what's around you, not being able to glance and seeing the periphery of what's happening, it's a really interesting experience. And I think that that is going to be a little bit potentially alienating to some people at first. But it'll be cool. I mean, I, I, I welcome it, but I'm crazy. A, that game you just described sounds pretty amazing. It's so cool. <laughs> I would super like to try that. B, I, I understand the whole sensory deprivation thing, but... Ultimately, like, that's that's already a thing. I reference here specifically the whole phenomenon of noise-canceling headphones. That's true. That's a good point. They're not really used for gaming specifically, but we do deprive ourselves of that one sense. But you do make a point in that vision is our main sense, and I'm going to briefly sound like a first-year psych or bio major. Welcome to the club. But we're, we are a vision-based species. Like, that is our primary thing. And so to deprive ourselves of it for, for entertainment purposes, that is... If it takes off, kind of a new thing. The other point I would make here is that, yes, it's absolutely not going to be the, the big public hit. It's going to be a gamer thing. Gamers are going to buy the Oculus Rift. Nobody is going to buy the Oculus Rift for a personal home theater experience, I don't think. And it will probably show up on an episode of NCIS as stereotypical gamer thing. Yeah, the murderer wore, <laughs> wore a pair of these. And then the hot goth chick says something or something. I don't, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. What I will say is that probably, and I'm trying not to start a whole new discussion, but Project Glass from Google or something like it is going to be the thing that takes off in public that is going to be the thing that triggers debates. That is going to be what gets people saying, oh, well, are you looking at the screen or are you looking at the person you're talking to? And that is going to be what gets really controversial when it becomes a thing, the whole augmented reality. VR is going to be more of a private in the home. Yeah. Just wait for the flashlight yeah. peripheral next year at CES. <laughs> uh, I don't even want to speculate the uses for that. It's getting very infinite, Jest. I'm a little freaked out. I um. was not asking you. Okay, well, concluding thoughts uh, then on the Oculus Rift. Uh, we'll go with Aaron first this time. I think it's one of those things that maybe I'm just a late tech bloomer, I've come to find out. I just got an iPad this Christmas, and I'm having a great time with that tablet experience and i love technology in general but with the oculus i just don't see the need for myself which i think is why i temper my excitement about the idea if this was me 
15 years ago where I had my parents, uh, you know, unending income in a way to just fuel my, my curiosity, then I probably wouldn't give a shit. I'd say, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get it when it comes out. I'm going to try it, which all suburban white kids do. That probably is why I don't care as much now, and I'm so skeptical. So I think it will work because it sounds like it does, but I don't ever see myself buying one, especially if it's not affordable, because... I don't think it's going to improve how I game, and that's what matters to me. All right, uh, Nick, your thoughts. Real quick, I just actually want to tell a story. 18 years ago, I went to CES with my dad. He went because it was vaguely related to his industry and took me along because video games. I was there for a couple of days, and I got to like check out PlayStation before it came out. Mega Man 7 was big there. I actually played Star Fox 2, Nice, which is pretty cool because now you can only do that through ROMs. But the coolest thing was that that was at the time where Nintendo had a lo- announced the Virtual Boy. It wasn't out yet. And they had like six or seven games on display. And they had like a bunch of demo units. And I was like, oh my god, I'm playing the Virtual Boy. We all know that that thing didn't really turn out to be all that cool by most measures. But it was true 3D. And after I played like Mario Clash and Teleroboxer and uh, that pinball game, whatever it was, and Wario Land and all these things, I was like blown away that a game could be so immersive. And I thought it was kind of like... I remember, like, people, my friends and my dad thinking, like, this is kind of ridiculous. Like, you're sticking your whole head in this, like, big red block. But the experience of playing those games was just, it's, there's something to be said when you sacrifice that external visibility. And it was just this red wireframe imagery, but it was just so, it was a really cool experience to see a game jump out like that. And I think the 3DS kind of captured what made that cool to some extent. But when you subtract everything else around you in certain ways, I think you gain a lot more from the experience. And I think, like, Deep Sea really resonated with me for that reason, just like the Virtual Boy did. So, as far as Oculus Rift goes, I am cautiously very optimistic to see what kind of cool stuff people can do with it. All right. I'm just going to say that this whole augmented reality, virtual reality thing is really what we thought in the 90s the future was going to be like, so congratulations to everybody on that. And I'm eager to try it, but I'm not really seeing it as impacting my uh, my gameplay in any particular way. It'll be cool. I just don't really see it making a huge difference for me. Uh, then again, I'm I'm the guy who opts to sit in front of his computer, so that's that's just me. No toilet gaming for you. <laughs> not really. I'm not a big console guy, but everyone already knew that. Here's the prediction that I know will come to be true. I don't pretend to know a lot about the industry, but my closing prediction is that in three years, CBS dramas, probably not NBC, they seem to avoid that, but CBS dramas will have, especially The Big Bang Theory, that comedy, there will be a Razer gaming tablet, there will be an Oculus Rift in an episode, probably when a character enters, there's a laugh track, because this person is nerdily playing games, and you know what, let's just throw a Windows 8 tablet in there for marketing, for marketing, that's what it's going to be. Hat trick. So we're basically just, these new technologies are going to fuel the plot lines of really shitty shows on uh, network TV. That is a very grim prediction, sir. <laughs> that's all we could ever hope for. Ultimately, probably right, but that's that's fairly grim. Well, because we've all concluded everything, and because Aaron has subsequently depressed me for the rest of the evening. You're welcome. From Nick Cummings. Yep. Aaron Thayer. That's me. And myself, Spencer Tordoff, and... The other two people at Silicon uh, Sasquatch. Thank you for listening, and we hope you listen in again. The Silicon Sasquatch Podcast is a production of SiliconSasquatch.com. Our audio producer for this podcast was myself, Spencer Kordoff. Our editors are Doug Bonham and Tyler Martin. 
And our co-founders and editors-in-chief are Aaron Thayer and Nick Cummings, who recently called me with a startling confession. I like the Lumia. My apologies to WBEZ Chicago. Thanks for listening, and we hope you download again.